Oh, I just remember the shrimp sandwiches on the beach for sale. I remember things it's by funny. food. Did you put sauce on it, or did you just eat shrimp on the bread? I don't think I ate them, actually. It looked gross. But, I mean, I just remember seeing them. <laughs> I, I'm not really into shrimp. They're kind of like, like cucarachis. North, North Sea shrimp look like worms. Oh, like yeah, worm. they were tiny. They were tiny. Yeah. Yeah. Gross. Tiny shrimp. So, um, Bicycle Mark, yes, yes, indeed. Here we are. Um, you've since multiplied since we last spoke. How has that been for you? Um, it's uh, it's it's odd because everybody seems to do this. Like it's what I, I don't know. There's some expressions for this, right? Like any idiot can have a kid. Uh-huh. So I'm finally one of those idiots. Okay. Uh, and so in that sense, like. I don't feel like I have any right to say, oh, this is, this is crazy because everybody can seems to stumble into this. But I do feel like it's, it's really hard. <laughs> yeah. I sometimes think this is the hardest thing I've ever done. Really? Because um, of the duty you got to yeah. clean up? Is that why? Because of the poop? The, the duty duty squirts specifically uh-huh. because sometimes you're changing the diaper. I think of you all the time. Thanks. You're changing the diaper. That's really great. And she will, they, maybe my, my child is a they. I oh don't know. Oh, my God. You're already starting well, that. They haven't decided yet, right? So. so you have to, do you have to, that's interesting. Do you have to like neutrally gender your child until they decide for you? Is that how it works now? You don't. For well, look, that's the funny part, right? Because like governments are kind of... Uh, old, I find most are old fashioned, so they haven't mm. like updated their forms or anything. So I right. s- still get asked, girl or boy. And even in the hospital, uh, like in good old Amsterdam, they, after the baby's born, they bring you the, it's like, um, it's not an English muffin, but it's circular and kind of crunchy bread. Mm-hmm. And they spread butter. And then they put uh-huh. the um, licorice, kind of like good and plenties on them. Hmm. And based on the gender of your child, it's either pink or blue. And sure <laughs> enough, I thought I knew this existed, but I didn't think the hospital did it. Sure enough, the 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 like she was born five a.m. or they were born at five a.m. and then seven a.m. There's the pink sprinkles on my disgusting bread, and uh, and I ate it because um, I'm fat in my mind. What kind of bread? It's like, um. Like this dehydrated kind of Melba oh, type, God. but thicker. I don't know what that is, really. I don't know when you eat it. I think you eat it when you go on a long trip and you can't get fresh bread. Um, it it could be a rice cracker, but it's Ugh. not. It's still wheat-based. Yeah. And, and you have to have the butter so that you can glue on the uh, licorice uh, Oh, they don't uh, come bits. on? The pink sprinkles don't come They're like in a package? Uh, the, no, the pink sprinkles, they're on there, but to get them to stay, right, you you, you have a layer of butter. Oh. Yeah. So they already butter did is that what, for you. Yes, they did. They oh spread God. it for you. You're exhausted, so you don't, you don't know what's what. You don't want to spread your butter for the sprinkles. It's too much work after all that. Absolutely. All that blood and, and screaming. Mm-hmm. 
it, you uh, you would have potentially laughed. I, so I'm there throughout the birth process, which was long, and mm -hmm. there was lots of you know Dutch coaching words and positive reinforcement. Mm -hmm. And at one point, a head, or at least a head of hair, is sticking out of the vagina. Mm -hmm. And um, now I, it's been such a long night. I didn't totally notice. I mean, I noticed something was going on down there. Mm -hmm. And uh, the uh, midwife, by the way, they're still called midwives. I thought they would have updated their title. Um, but apparently midwife is still okay. But yeah. I'm ready to change it any day. The midperson, mm -hmm. um, she says to me, uh, because I'm up near the head of my partner, kind of oh. feeding her water when she can handle it. And then the, the mid-person goes, hey, get the camera, and nudges Ooh. her her sort of me in the direction of the vagina. And I'm just like, right, I got to, right, it's my job to apparently take photos or film this. So I really had to collect whatever focus I could have and turn on a phone camera and start recording this head of hair coming out of a vagina. Did you want to do that? I mean, or was it just, did you discuss Honestly, it? We, we talked about, like, they, they sit you down and they ask you, what do you want from your birth? And it's a oh. really weird process because we all kind of know when push comes to shove, you do whatever doctors and mid people tell you to do. And so it's funny to, to write down your wishes, your requests, like, I would like ambient music, yeah. which we didn't put down. Uh, I want no, and some people name specific drugs they don't want mm -hmm. if it comes to drugs. Um, and then a lot of people have placenta. Oh, I got to tell you a placenta story. Oh, I think that fits well with what we love to mm -hmm. talk about. Um, but so they're like, do you want to, you know, keep the placenta and do you intend to plant it somewhere? Do you, who wants to cut the cord? And so we wrote all this stuff down. I don't know where that document was in the moment, probably buried under a lot of like clothes and, and emergency supplies that we packed into a bag. So you make all these like, um, you make a plan, they call it. I felt like I had homework. Um, mm -hmm. Well, I had a lot of homework. I had to watch a lot of videos of birth and know about birth so that I could stand around and not make it happen. <laughs> just, yeah. I just, I was the water boy for my child's birth. And, um, and I'm proud of that. I was a good water boy, mm -hmm. water person. But um, yeah, so, okay, I'll give you the placenta story. So the um let me check in my head if this is okay to tell yeah so the placenta comes out by the way no one ever talks about the birthing of the placenta because okay. you, you birth a child and that's like daunting and if it works out great um but right after the child comes out or several minutes later the you have to birth the placenta it requires some breathing and some pushing and if you don't get that whole thing out in, in I don't know, one go, or yeah. if it stays in you, that's dangerous. And we kind of ran into a little bit of that. There wasn't fully out or something. There was still leftover placenta. Anyway, they pull out this placenta, and it's like a big circle, like a pizza, only blood yeah. red. Mm. And they hold it up like with like we just caught a fish, and <laughs> just holding Ew. it up, like get a picture, get a picture. So I, again, trying not to lose focus of the child that's just been born. I take a picture of the giant placenta, 
and they put it in a bucket um, with like a like a seal on it so you know it hasn't been opened and they just left it in the window the hospital room window uh, for the we ended up having to stay two days because there was some uh, uh, still residual healing needed before we could go and so uh, on the way out, sure enough, like she's in a wheelchair. I've got the bags. I'm trying to balance everything. And of course the baby. And, um, you forgot the laps. Sure enough, there's a, a bucket. What's up? And you forgot the laps. I almost forgot it, but no, no, it was the last thing. Like when there was no more, like there was no more arms to carry anything. Like it's just this bucket that looks like it's fried chicken or something, oh you know, from a takeout. And so we get home and you know, in the Netherlands, people have tiny fridges. Well, especially in Amsterdam, you have tiny apartments, yeah. so you have tiny fridges. It's like up to your waist, right? right. And I can't fit much in it. I fit like two days of groceries. Yeah. Um, so I get home and I've got this takeout <laughs> bucket with a placenta in it. Uh-huh. And by the way, why do we have this? Um, my partner is a medical researcher, kind of. She does mostly computer-related research, but we have a microscope and sometimes we put things under the microscope uh, just for fun, you know, Corona time, hobbies. Yeah. And uh, so she's like, I want a little piece of the, the, the placenta yeah. to put under the microscope. But to have this giant bucket of blood just so that you can have a tiny microscope sized uh, bit of blood was a little overkill. But my problem now was where am I putting this placenta? Right. Well, my building, I'm, I'm good friends with the owner and he's trying to sell everything. We're moving too. So all my, almost my entire building is empty and I have the keys to every apartment because I'm the trusted uh, uh, caretaker kind mm-hmm. of. So, so they're just taking photos these days and trying to sell it. And I'm hoping that when people try to sell an apartment, most people don't open the fridge. I mean, I do when I'm in the market. I so I put do. the placenta in the upstairs, in the apartment upstairs uh, fridge, mm. and um, it's then the fog of childbirth set in. I couldn't rem- like I just wasn't on my mind. Yeah. So it stayed there for like a week, no, two weeks, and we got really nervous that it was stinky, and uh, <laughs> we eventually we eventually went up like on a mission but just the to smell. Was on right, it was on. Okay. Yeah. So. Okay. I walked into the apartment after like two weeks. I mean, they had sent up cleaners. I kept wondering if the cleaners maybe were confused about why they can't get rid of some smell. But I really wasn't sure that there was a smell. I went up there. I thought it smelled like fish. Mm. And uh, and it may have before, right? Just, you know, life. Uh, okay. You don't mind fish. if I make Michael, Bob- Michael Balbaro sounds during this? conversation no i i mm. love you notice they they kind of take him off that podcast a bit now or, or they're sharing the duties mm. more mm. yeah well he does yeah. have a penis so that can be problematic yeah yeah it sure does get boring i'll tell you that <laughs> <laughs> i like the other people anyway. um so uh we we open the fridge and again can't quite tell if it just smells if it smells bad it's just kind of a weird smell we open the bucket and it is a bucket of blood uh, and, and yes, placenta. All right. So we got to get rid of this thing. It stunk. Uh, never. It, it smelled enough, yeah. but it wasn't out of hand yet. So we had about, you know, okay. maybe another day to figure this out. Why don't you just um, bury it? Do people, I think a lot of people bury it and plant a tree. Yeah. But yeah. So then comes the question. I don't have a garden like house wise. Uh-huh. We have a street garden out front. But we don't know what's going to happen to that. They always say it's going to be 
removed and repaired because in the mm-hmm. Netherlands they're always renewing everything constantly. So um, we we do have we're we're in this community garden around the corner. Yeah. You've got to have a key, and there's lots of old people that scowl at you for mm-hmm. uh, if you don't garden right, and they check on what you're doing and ask oh. you who are you, even though you already met them a hundred times. Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> we went there. And we brought the baby as a decoy and uh, a shovel and the bucket. And uh, basically, my partner kind of went one way and showed the baby to the old people. And while they were all looking at the baby, I went with a shovel and quickly dug a hole in our garden and buried the placenta. Actually, I think my partner came and helped at the, at the end. And um, yeah, so now I'm just wondering if dogs or cats in the neighborhood would be attracted to it. Um, but I haven't checked. I'm you don't think so? No, I was just echoing the fact that you buried the laps. <laughs> you buried the laps. I did. Under a tree. I'm hoping that tree, I don't Why know, could, has Couldn't they just powers. give you a little piece in a little, you know, like, in a little, you know, I don't know, I, ring box? That would have been a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a little tiny tube even. That would have been really easy. Instead, I had this giant takeout bucket. Takeout laps. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's all placenta under the tree now, so everything's fine. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So you're happy, yeah. your baby's healthy, everything's good? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, cries a lot and seems to suffer more than enjoy life, but everyone says that's normal, <laughs> so I'm just going to... I'm just going to assume that the misery that I see on her face um, is um, temporary, uh-huh. But uh, I feel bad. I feel bad. It always seems like, you know, between gas pains and and ha- it's like it's a chicken or egg question, right? Does the yeah. baby suffer because they have to duty uh-huh. or do they duty? But then it's not enough. So they don't feel relief or fart even like a baby farts all the time. Really loud. Like an really? adult. Hmm. Yeah. It's a very powerful, still not finished gastric uh, what do you call it system like that's still being sort of finalized and um but it's hard to tell like sometimes there'll be a fart and you'll see a look of eh, relief or you know they'll get quiet but sometimes you hear a loud fart and then you'll start to hear crying or like frustration so it just seems like a hard life to be a newborn yeah well and we've all been there we've all done it i mean as a as a newborn not as a parent so yeah. I have a question that I can only ask you because I know you're open-minded to my sort of lesbian, uh, please difficult, inquisitive. I'm honored. I I always I think you're probably the only person I I can ever ask this directly to. But oh. as a current parent, mm-hmm. like a recent parent in the age of climate change, does it bother you that you're bringing a child into a world that's going to likely um, have some huge environmental disasters uh, related to climate change or do you not how, how does that play into your whole if situation? i'm honest um i didn't spend a lot of time thinking about that mm-hmm. that's my initial answer because even yesterday i did this like solo grum it's been a while yeah i so, heard it i heard and, it and 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 it did occur to me like i mean not that the world became shit when ukraine was invaded but it certainly adds a new layer um, and, and that, and that is why I, I was thinking out loud for a second, like, oh yeah, I went and had a kid in a world that it, just when you think it's already bad, it, it gets worse actually. And, and with climate change, it will continue to get worse. 
Um, honestly, it didn't play into my decision or our decision, really, because it was so much more about the idea that um, the world somehow needs um, <laughs> good people and we think we can raise a good person. Uh-huh. Um, I, wasn't there a film about this? Like, I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about know. here, but it might have been Idiocracy or something. Just the idea that um, what happens to the world if... Only idiots um, people reproduce. People care. It is? No, I, it does sound like idiocracy, but just the idea that only yeah. idiots reproduce, yeah. 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 And I mean, again, I'm putting myself in a, a really high place well, here. Well, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I That point makes sense to me, but I guess I was asking more from the standpoint of the child. Like, does it bother you that she might suffer, suffer. In, in this new yeah. world? It probably hasn't really sunk in, to be mm-hmm. honest, because... Yeah. I mean, look at me. I'm right now worried that she's just suffering because of <clears throat> eating. <laughs> like, so I can imagine later on when everything starts to sink in, um, only then going, she'll suffer again. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it, it does start to occur to me that m- so much of life is is suffering, um, you know, uh I mean, I guess that's what makes the joyous moments valuable. I'm not. I'm not totally 100% on if the balance is right, but um, I'm. I'm. I'm watching a baby just without climate change, you know, uh, at, at least overtly, um, and she, and she, and she is suffering to survive, to live, to to. And and so when you add this layer of yeah, climate change, no, it's honestly it it wasn't. It wasn't a factor. And I know the, the discussion always, um, and I appreciate it too, you know, that people say, whether it's climate change or just, um, you can, you know, also list off some of the other unfortunate things about our world, but that is the biggest one, an environment that is um, being, well, trashed. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and why then make a human? I don't know, you know, sometimes I think, what's the opposite of putting a human into it, not putting into a human, you know, not putting a human into it? Does is the opposite of someone being alive and suffering and then not existing, so therefore not suffering. Is that the opposite? Well, um, right. That's a good I question. I guess maybe. No, I get But that. I guess maybe. It could be. It could be. Like, I do appreciate when people say, you know, so-and-so died, but but they were they had an illness or they were completely in pain all their lives, so now they're at least not in pain. I mean, yeah. I, I believe that. I, I like that. So, yeah. no. But my initial answer is simply... I didn't think about it like that. Mm-hmm. Although I know, yeah, it's a thing. Um, I was sort of, sort of too excited. Like my partner and I, we have yeah. there's we have a really good time despite everything in this world, um, and a really nice uh, just way about us. And we thought that uh, wouldn't it be fun? <laughs> Honestly, we use words like this if we made a human and just um, you know then we were three. Um, so that, that was the dominant thinking, honestly. Um, I don't know how very self-centered really. (laughs) And, uh, and I'm using disposable diapers and I'm looking at them as they go. And I'm like, wow, like the, the carbon footprint of my household just, well, definitely doubled for now. (laughs) Um, Well, you know, there's a, there's a mushroom I've been reading about. Well, I, not lately, but I was into fungus earlier or late, late last year. There is a, well, you're into the, yeast. Well, yeah, that is a fungus. But um, I was into other fungi. And there's one yeah. fungus that they used that some experimental, amateur experimental 
whatever the word is for fungologists, I forget what it is, but there's a word for them. And they created, a, a, they were able to get a fungus that eats diapers and turns it into <laughs> edible mushrooms. There is such a thing. That's fantastic. Like they That's can fantastic. turn the entire diaper with duty into an edible mushroom. It is, the technology fantastic. is there. So, so yeah. while it's true, it's not, you know, a good carbon footprint thingy. The technology does exist to make it one. Yeah, so interesting. Yeah, I mean, and there's so much energy put into these diapers. Again, like yeah. the duty, the power of this duty, the yeah. um, the amount of pee. Like, yeah, I the could, amount of pee. I could also see it as a sort of untapped resource or unused resource. Yeah. I don't. Know. Yeah. Anyway, I wanted to talk about this other thing because I don't have an unlimited amount of time. I'm still working and closing out my old job, and unfortunately, I actually have to do things, which Is there going to be a cake and, like... No, they they don't give a fuck about me. I went yesterday, (laughs) you know, because it's all remote now, and I'm in this remote office. And even when I was in the office before COVID, I still was remote because I was in an office, but my boss is in Florida. Everything is decentralized where I work, so... I never see people. So the people that it's more like neighbors. The people I work with are more like neighbors and coworkers because they don't. I don't work with them. They're just people that are near me. And I like that. I like a lot of my neighbors. I could. I could see that being good. Well, I I I don't. But I saw that. uh, (laughs) But my work wife. I, she was so happy because I gave her my air purifier yesterday and my foot roller thing because I just don't have room for that in my (laughs) home office. Which is next? Oh, she's like, oh, thank you for the air purifier. And I wait. And, what makes what makes this person your work wife? Oh, she's fat. <laughs> and so, <laughs> but, I, okay, yeah, yeah. And she's next door. It just it's just you know. That's it. I don't know. I never yeah. really thought about it. It's like what makes. <laughs> I've heard you just, say it. And you I was wondering each other. how did they get this title? Because you find each other. It's just like your wife, wife, or your yeah. partner, partner, whatever. It's just the way it is. Yeah. Everybody has to have one now. It's part of the zeitgeist. Camp, camp. If you don't have a white wife, if you don't have white wife, if you don't have a work wife, you're not part of the zeitgeist. So, um, but but so basically, I cleaned out my office. I said, "Oh, I'll be back Friday." Oh, good, you can say goodbye. But nobody like offered to have a lunch for me, whatever. Hmm. So after everybody else left, I secretly I said, "Oh, I have too much stuff to take out of this office," which was true. I'll come back Friday to finish. It, that was a lie. I got everything out. I stuck, I stuck my work phone on the desk, which I, I have to turn in, which I don't even use anyway. My cellular, yeah. mobile, whatever fucking phone. So I, I have two iPhones. I'm like, I hate this thing. So I left it there. I, I took everything. I, I had to take an Uber. It was a suitcase. It was a bag of, of clothes. So much clothing I left there. Because, you know, I ride my bike there in the summer. And then, um, oh. and the, br- right. the the swag umbrella I finally took home. There's just oh, and my plaque, my five year lucite plaque. <laughs> I, I like. What do you do with this when you leave a company, and you've got your five year plaque? Man, and then you go to what? What do you? I think. Do you know people don't keep that garbage, do they? Anyway, my parents, who who were educators. Uh, they kept all their plaques. It's in. A, it's above the garage now. It's, it's one of the saddest things about my existence is this plaque. Actually, it's glass. And then I'm like, do I keep the box? Oh, it's a modern plaque. Yeah. Do I keep the box that it came in? And the best suggestion I got was go to the bathhouse 
and find some bottom with this in a sling and stick it up his ass and just leave it there. Just leave it in somebody's ass. I thought that's a good idea, but I, the problem is they don't let you bring backpacks into the into the bathhouse because they don't really? want people to bring drugs in or paraphernalias. Yeah. So, so what they supply everything like the towel. The, mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. That's that sounds it. like. That sounds like instructions that Hagatha would have had for you. It sounds very specific. She did. She did. Experience talking, basically. Uh, yeah, some somebody in that sort of genre. Back in the, yeah, someone <laughs> once did bring in a plaque. That's um, how they made that rule. That'd be funny. Yeah, just stick it in there and leave. Just stick it in a butt. <laughs> I mean, then, they, then you have to make a rule about it. You yeah. know, and you become the person who led to the change in policy. So anyway, that's that. It's over. But so let's. The thing is with this Afghanistan, or Afghanistan, Freudian. Slip, yeah. Also, I what I don't understand a lot of things about Ukraine, and where my mind keeps going is to, well, there's two things. No, it's really one thing, but it's sort of it comes the the focus I have is propaganda, and I feel like uh, hmm. I'm lost in a way because. I feel like some of the voices I've been listening to are too biased to listen to anymore. I'm talking about like one of the people I I was listening to and listening to their commentary a lot was Matt. uh, Taibbi. No, well, him too. uh, Aaron Maté. Now, Matt Taibbi also has been, you know, he was very much said this invasion isn't going to happen, laughing every time, you know. They'd say, oh, U.S. intelligence knows this is going to happen. Just laughing, laughing like a lot of people did. I certainly did. But the difference is Matt Taibbi, right after the invasion came out, and he said, look, I have to do a face plant of my own. I was absolutely wrong about this. I was wrong. I fucked up. I was wrong. Aaron Monte comes out and he says, well, I I was wrong, but it's because of this, 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 and this. And then he's – but I'm starting – but it's it's in such a – the way – what I'm leery of is when, because I watch, I look at propaganda all the time, and then I compare it to, you know, if I'm going to watch something on CNN, I have to have the count, counterbalance on, like, RT or something. Uh, yeah. So I still look at RT to see what kind of propaganda they're putting out there. And when I yeah. see what the kind of propaganda RT is putting out there in sort of defending Russia for this ridiculous, indefensible invasion... Mm-hmm. It's the same talking points that people like Aaron Monte are using. It's the same really? talking points that a lot of people are using. And then Katie Halper, who's Matt Taibbi's co- co-host right. on right. one of the shows, Useful Idiots. Useful Idiots, but he's on vacation. Now uh, Aaron Monte's covering for him. Oh, um, is okay. And so she does her own show because everybody has 8 million grums. And she had Chris, <laughs> and she had Chris Hedges on there yesterday. Yeah. And Chris Hedges yeah. is making an argument why we shouldn't arm people in Ukraine. Now, I know you've talked about huh. it because your idea is, you know, why are we sending weapons without training? That's not, well, and that's partially his issue, but he's making an argument that basically you should not arm people in Ukraine. It's too dangerous and they could hurt themselves. Plus there's a lot yes. of anti-Semites, right? The yeah. problem yeah. is, the problem is Chris Hedges is an RT host. And maybe oh. when there's not a war, that's valid to have an RT host on, but when you're when there's an active war where the and you're having the the aggressor state funded propaganda channel yeah. uh, a person who has a show on there on on your show, I just find yeah. it com- to complete completely not credible, right. and the talking yeah. points are identical, 
And I just yeah. find myself <clears throat> bewildered because I just want to know what the fuck's going on. Yeah. I mean, look, your, your point is good in terms of, you know, who do you work for and what is their what is their priorities, even if they're different from, yeah. you know, yours, or even if they allow some editorial freedom, because we know that to be true in, in many cases. Well, we do, yeah, but I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but just I, I just right. have to say this, which is you do have editorial freedom. In my experience, having edited shows for RT is you do have 100% editorial freedom, but along with that goes... Everybody has the knowledge that um, if the, if Putin doesn't like anything you say, you'll be off. Everybody knows that. Right. That was so true then, true now. Right. That's right, right. like the overwhelming. I mean, everybody does that. You know, if you work for General yeah. Motors, you can't say anything bad about General Motors on TV or you will get fired. So there's always that hang over your head. And the last thing I'll say before I stop interrupting you is um, Max and mm -hmm. Stacy quit. Uh, oh, I didn't know the that. Kaiser Report, they quit because of the invasion. Wow. Their last show was wow. recorded before the invasion. They didn't even say goodbye. They said, we're quitting because of the invasion. Wow. In fact, they even broke their contract for it. It's a complicated, it's a messy thing. Oh, boy. It's a messy right. thing. But, right, um, right. Yeah. So anyway, go yeah. ahead. No, it's weird, right? Because like the early 2000s, not to get trapped in the past too much, but the early 2000s were this was this time where every country or almost many countries decided, you know what we need? Our own news channel. I still use mm -hmm. France 24. I do too. And it almost sometimes feels like I'm using some old like 1990s uh, invention that nobody remembers right. anymore. Um, and uh, yeah, so RT came out of that mm -hmm. thinking and Al Jazeera was sort of a success story of that time. Um, and, uh, and those channels still wield, I guess, some power but, uh, I, you know, one of the most powerful tools these days that I don't follow, I never really... So I, I was practically married to a Russian woman for many years, mm -hmm. three, three years, and I got to go to Russia a lot and, and really learn and love uh, many things about the culture and the country. Um, and I saw the power of local news <laughs> or, or, you know, national news, which people really believed in. And they would come out with all kinds of stories that you would think no one is going to believe this, but everybody seemed to believe it, especially above a certain age. Was propaganda so I, I think or what? About that. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I, rem I remember very distinctly because I had all kinds of uncomfortable confrontations with my ex his friends, yeah. guys especially. It was a very hard time getting along with Russian guys. Not all, but, but enough. Um, this is sort of machismo where I remember, you remember... Eurovision Song Contest, Conchita Worst yeah. wins. Yeah. Pardon my pronunciation of worst. Fine. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, it was a reasonably big deal. Um, and then I'm in Russia and they like the Eurovision Song Contest, which I barely mm -hmm. pay attention to, honestly. And I remember guys, like macho guys, saying, being introduced to me and they're like, oh, hey, oh, you live in Europe. Uh, you know, it's all one blob to them, I guess, just like Russia can be. Mm -hmm. And they would go, Conchita Wurfs, is that for real? And I would always look at them like, what is your question? Yeah. <laughs> like, like um, yeah, she seems to have won. Yes, yes. Uh, artist, yes. You know, it was always like this th this view on the world, especially Europe, and, and I guess by proxy the US, as you've all lost your minds. Um, and that has like this whole cross-section of, of reactions. Like there's the belief that the West's, uh, in terms of countries, are weak. Um, they can't make any uh, important decisions. 
um, uh, morally, there's this thing that the, the West is bankrupt, we no longer have any values, religion is dead, or we threw it away, or something. And it's amazing how far what sound like extreme, well, they are extreme uh, um, ex explanations of what's going on somewhere, become kind of normal, or at least widely enough accepted that they gain traction to the point that, I don't know, if a political leader says it, they'll cheer, um, and so on. I mean, there's plenty of uh, alternative views in Russia, but you don't hear them very much. And certainly my ex uh, is also a part of that, you know, a whole community of hipsters in Moscow that don't even want to talk about politics because they just feel like there's no winning there. They'd rather make, you know, sourdough bread and the finest pizza ever. And um, they're just busy doing all these very hipster Western or whatever, actually, you know, every country had handmade things. So that's where they're at. And that's how they express their sort of alternativeness to uh, the sort of mainstream uh, what's going on. So now with this invasion, right, like there's a lot of ins and outs. I remember you have always talked a lot about the economic uh, excuses or the, the, the um, what's it called? Nord Stream. I don't even remember my yeah. pipelines where I probably get too. gas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I remember you, you mentioning it uh, and rightfully so. It's a factor here. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also just these very <sighs> seemingly impossible to believe arguments that they've been pushing since even before, but especially since 20... 15, 2014, the Maidan protest, mm -hmm. there was this story that just, I don't know why it took in, well, I, I partially know why, but in, in that the Ukraine, there was people in the streets of Ukraine that they were kicking out, uh, what was it, Yushchenko, the old uh, Russia yeah. uh, supporting mm -hmm. uh, semi-dictator. They're so hard to and, remember the names because they all sound the same to me. It's like yes, because there was Yushchenko, Yushchenko, Yushchenko Vladimir this, Vladimir yeah. that. There was the guy who got poisoned and then his skin right. got all messed up. Right. Uh, more innocent times, I tell you. <laughs> and so, so um, but their story was that the people in the streets were extremists. Yes. And they could sort of back those stories. I mean, they didn't really need to, but by finding some far right parties that wanted... Yes certainly wanted to get involved in elections, and they could, you okay. know, in, in Ukraine. So, sort so of. this is what I need you for. I want to, yeah. I want you to explain that to me, because this is where sure. my propaganda, my propagandized brain gets confused. First of all, a couple of points related to what you just said, which is the Nord, the Nord Stream 2 argument I made was, is, is gone. That's irrelevant because they that- shut it down. Well, not because of that, but because my what I was saying, this is before the invasion, I thought that UP, UPS, what is wrong with me? USA <laughs> was drumming up this war, making this fake claim of invasion in order to have an excuse to shut down Nord Stream 2. I believe that, yep. that, that my conspiracy theory has been proven false just by the course of okay. events. So I don't think that. Okay. I, but the way that they did immediately sanction, you turn that off as a sanction shows that it was important, though. Um, right. Now. I, I was curious to just um, to note that the um, what your friend said when they about Conchita Worst is that real? And I'm wondering if it, maybe I'm reading too much into that that statement. But is that a statement about the the media that they're fed, where they they sort of sub, subliminally know a lot of their what they see on TV isn't real? That maybe they assumed it wasn't, or if, unless that's just a figure of speech. I'm probably reading too much into it. 
at the time, um, very this very <laughs> these type of people that would that say such things to me, uh-huh. they always seemed like they were trying to piss me off oh, or see. testing to see if I was uh, uh-huh. either homophobic or transphobic. Okay, like seeing if I was with them, so um, they could go on. You know, it was kind yeah. of it was kind of like he could have said, uh, uh, "Men who like men, that's not really a thing." And then he was uh-huh. waiting to see if I would go, no, or I got gotcha. yes. It's like my mom's know. swimming pool in her apartment because <laughs> there's there's a lot of the Trump people, and they want to see like if you're gonna if you'll go on with them about how awful Biden is, and they'll just test the water. I totally get it. Okay, yeah. So they, yeah. yeah. So yeah. with so this is there's the two things. So when I see all this propaganda, I, the the talking points they there's they seem to focus on two main things that I always see, which is that 2014 was a U.S.-sponsored coup and that that there's a ton of Nazis that the U.S. funded. And Mm. so I want to know from you, if you know, what is the truth? Was it a U.S. coup? And are there a bunch of Nazis there? And what do we do with that with respect to this whole invasion and whose side we take as human beings? Yeah. So, uh, you know, the protests in the streets, I mean, again, and you only see the people in the streets. There are plenty of people that weren't in the streets that wanted reform in the country Mm -hmm. and don't get on camera. But regardless, like with many protests anywhere these days, actually, uh, but certainly in a country that hasn't really had an open democracy where people can form parties on the spectrum of of craziness and, and rational. Um, there were people in the streets that were both, let's say, far left wing, center left, of course. There were far right and and variations on that. Probably people wanted to bring back some lost monarchy for all I know. So there were elements in the streets united because the, the one thing, and that happens, right, with the far le- right and the far left, every now and then we agree. I'll put for myself sure. as far left. For sure. Every now and then we agree. It's, it's on very odd moments, uh, like that mainstream candidates suck, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so look, for better or for worse, but they were in the streets as well. And Russia, at least in the media, made good use of that. First of all, the mm-hmm. Russian government didn't want to see their their um, allies within the Ukrainian government, which still exist, by the way, in parliament. There's just people waiting to, to take uh, take over again um, that are loyal to Moscow. The same way the, the Yushchenko was. I still feel like I'm getting that name wrong, but the previous guy that got kicked out. Was it Leshchenko? Um, I don't know. Or is that the no, mayor? Or is that, that might be the president of Belarus. I don't know. Oh, Yeah. Yanukovych, so many names coming back. So, um, so they used those images and they really ran with them saying, uh, there are fascists and there are people who have racist and whatever. They don't say racist because, because, you know, they don't want to, they know a lot of Russians might be racist, so they don't go that far, but they say fascist. And let me do a sidebar with that, but an important sidebar. You don't need to go to Russia to see this, but Every year in Russia, there is a giant um, May Day or Patriots Day um, celebration in, in, in Red Square. Mm-hmm. Um, they march every missile and every, well, not every, but a lot of tanks and, and families come out. And it's this, ins- it's like 
Fourth of July and Memorial Day all combined into one yeah. with the missiles marching down the street. And the number one thing that they still talk about is how they resisted the Nazis. And they look, a lot of Russians died. It was a major thing in the history of the country and, and generation lost or more. So even in 2021 you know, or 22 now, they're still saying, my God, we resisted the, the, the Nazis, the fascists, and if we needed to, we could do it again. And mm -hmm. I've always been amazed in these years that I've gotten to know Russia that, that anyone gives a shit. <laughs> like, like, I understand World War II was significant, but it's so many generations later mm -hmm. to still be parading around saying we need to be ready for fascists. The idea that that actually works is impressive. Because you can't even do it in the U.S. I mean, yeah. you could try, but half the audience would go, hmm, I don't know if I'm, I'm against fascists anymore. And, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing the power that that message has in Russia. Mm -hmm. Why I bring this up is because that is one of the number one messages that's used, at least in the media, um, by Russian state television telling people, look, the people of Ukraine, which are like family, and many people will acknowledge that, the people of Ukraine who are our friends they are it's fascists have taken over it's and again the comparisons to goddamn world war ii which haunts us forever of course um bring drag people okay. back into this sort of okay i well i don't like fascists just like my great-grandfather didn't like fascists so you know maybe we got to do this i, I don't actually think that is Russians, that a is that a hundred percent lie it's not. Um, yes, I mean, it's. It's. Okay. I think it's close enough. Like the the lie they tell is that the government is fascist, and that is not mm -hmm. true. Well, I mean, and the government. We the, would have to let years is, go by. The but, president of uh, Ukraine is Jewish. For, for example, there's one right. solid way to tell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, and you can go further. I mean, look, there are democratically elected people uh, in not just in the presidency, but in in right. uh, uh, parliament, and there there's different parties, and and they're not uh, See, uh, fascists. I That's think, not. I think what happens yeah. is with these types of things is that you you know you can be you have you have to have a certain level of certainty in order to let not. To not let the contra contradicting propaganda get you, and I feel like there's too much. It, it's too vague because some, yes, there were uh, there were some fascists, some Nazis in Ukraine, but it's not sure. like I don't. I, it. I think we need a way to figure out to to. And it sounds like I'm creating propaganda too. I suppose I am, but I just how do we talk about it in such a way that makes it so like we can concretely put it away and say. Yeah, there's some there is some right wing extremists. There's right wing extremists yes. anywhere, but it's not the government. It was a little thing. Did the U.S. sponsor them? Yes or no? Why? Oh, because they always do. You know what I mean? Like I feel like we need to sew yeah. this up and put it in a box so that so that these people can't yeah. use it That's as a, as a Putin talking point. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the, and the U.S. funding thing or the European Union yeah. funding thing because. The European Union and the U.S. have invested a lot in programs for uh, reducing corruption. I've seen these programs. I've been part of them mm -hmm. uh, in places like Georgia, the Republic of Georgia, which also, by the way, was invaded by Russia in 2008 and barely survived. Uh, and there, now there are two countries that they Russia just invented, uh, South Ossetia and the other one escapes my mind. Um, anyway, it'll come back later. Um, these are invented countries run by the <laughs> Russian military with a you know puppet government that only Syria recognizes and Russia, of course. 
best in, friends inside, inside of Georgia. Yeah, it's on the border. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, and they've been there now. I mean, that was two thousand eight. You know, it's funny how these things happen. I was listening to from their own car, uh, from our own correspondent with the BBC, mm-hmm. and they sent people to South Ossetia uh, this week or last week to uh, just talk how people are feeling because they've been living under this semi-occupation. They're, you know, they're supposed to be a country, but the Russian military is around and they occasionally arrest people for being activists. Um, it used to be Georgia; it was part of Georgia until Russia uh, took it. Um, and you know, the claim is that people wanted this. It's just like crime. Well, not just like Crimea because Crimea really, um, there's a sort of Russian, uh, majority somehow. Um, but this is not the only place like they have this in Moldova. There's a region of Moldova that is not controlled by the Mo- Moldovan government. It's the Soviets are there. Oh, sorry, Jesus. The Russians are there with a military base and it's a disputed territory of course you know this is their formula but the crazy thing about ukraine is that they've taken the formula and they really just kind of dumped it out you know it's it's no longer it's been creeping occupation that's been their thing slowly but surely eat at the ends uh you know donbass uh, um uh, luansk these places on the eastern edge of Ukraine. It was already an amazing thing that it was happening, that the Russia did this, uh, pretending not to be Russia, right? And uniforms that didn't say Russia on them, but yet <laughs> the Russian soldiers. Okay. I mean, this happened. So can you... So, ex- sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Go, no, 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 go ahead. So can you explain the coup in 2014? Was it America behind, America behind it? How does it relate to what happened with Crimea? I just don't get it. I'm I, confused. I think that... So I would put Crimea to the side only because um, Crimea had been Russian. And, and I think that there was, in a way, a long running campaign to, to make it Russian again, uh-huh. even though it was taken by force, which is weird. Uh-huh. So I want to put Crimea to the side. Because, also because I feel like there's so much more to learn about it that I just don't have. Okay. Um, but with the protests in Ukraine... Um, back in yeah, 2014, 2015, 2015. Um, you know, th- when we say that it was funded, or if anyone says that it was funded by anyone else, that's an exaggeration of things like um, a training program for journalists. And again, this I have done in my life. I might get funds from the European Union. I have a small NGO, and my objective as, as Bicycle Mark is to teach people to do good audio and uh, maybe video and do stories for maybe a news outlet, maybe become your own YouTube channel, but whatever. You right. know, you learn to do the things that you and I imagine, uh, learned on our own, basically, or, or by watching what other people do. Um, so uh, what for years, countries, not just Russia, but have accused sometimes the United States or, or Germany through Deutsche Welle, is that you're... Um, you're using money to uh, change culture or to, um, yeah, change a country, to influence a country. I mean, you can argue that that is what that is, but it's not really, it's not paying people to protest, which is one of the old arguments that even Republicans say in in the U.S. Mm -hmm. that, you know, demonstrators are paid to go somewhere. No, uh, what it is, is a country that has limited economic resources Mm -hmm. that is right on the border with the European Union. And so Europe actively does try to support press, agriculture. By the way, Ukraine is a major supplier of grain to different parts of the European Union and and certainly in the North Africa, which is now going to have a problem with with bread. Uh, Watch Egypt in the coming weeks. I don't know what they're going to do because that's a major source of, of grain for them. 
Um, and so even though Ukraine isn't in the European Union, Ukraine is part of a lot of European Union programs, Council of Europe, of course, um, that bring economically, socially uh, people, well, empower them to like, you know, run companies that can do business in Europe or wherever else, but also journalists who can, you know, do the democratic or whatever you want to call it, liberal press thing. So if you're the Russian government, you can point and say, you're influencing the country, you're trying to steal it. I'm not going to say it isn't trying to influence a country, but it's not stealing. These are programs that people actively look for. It's kind of, you know, when we did this in Afghanistan, which I don't know really if we long term helped based on what's happening now, but it was an alternative to university. You didn't have to pay for it. Uh, it was funded by someone else, and um, you could get job training, and then go off and do whatever you want to do. It was no obligation. But was it a coup? Um, so, in in I don't, Ukraine, in no, I don't think it was a coup. I think okay. it was a system that was sort of reached the end of its rope, mm-hmm. um, which happens. We've seen it happen in different parts of the world. Doesn't always take. By the way, you know, Egypt hit a moment where people had it with the with the dictator and they replaced him with a military leader that is mm, so was was Uh, um this guy zelensky zelensky elected yeah to to my knowledge he's he's, i mean i remember the election because it seems to me that calling it a coup and calling an american-backed coup is widely accepted uh not just among i mean i see it i see it stated unquestionably everywhere and the same thing with the nazi backed being back the nazi elements being backed by us <laughs> i i don't see yeah. that being questioned hardly at all like it's really? more like i didn't know that i see like people will say yeah but you know it's like yeah but it's not that big a deal you know and the russians you know the people spewing the propaganda will say yeah but that means we have to we can't allow that because we're fighting nazism which is obvious propaganda but the less obvious uh, sometimes it's just it's passing because it's like it's too complicated to refute in a way. You know what I mean? Like it's because you really yeah. have to understand a lot. That's the problem when you get these conflicts in the world. You can't just know everything about it. I, nobody's following <laughs> no. Ukraine. I wasn't following Ukraine. I'm not a specialist. I'm not an academic. Yeah. I, have no, I don't know anybody. So, so I all I, can, all I can do is you know read a couple articles, and and that and you don't know who to read it from because it seems like everybody's propagandized from somebody the best thing i heard about it was your friend christopher Lydon's podcast about it where i thought people were being reasonable and and the other thing yeah. i wanted to ask you is when they talk you you mentioned too that there was a there's been a civil war in ukraine for years like eight years or something it's been going on and thousands of people are dying so why is there a civil war and who are these people dying and whose fault is it well, that's the creeping um, occupation or the creeping colonialism. And and also, maybe we can combine with that. Mm-hmm. We live in this time of people, people believe certain information so strongly that they'll take up arms. Um, th- so what I was talking about with the change, and, and you were referring to it as a coup, I, I actually wasn't sure if it was known as a coup. Maybe, I guess, I haven't, I'm not looking it up right now. Um, I was tempted to, but I maybe it's because you're in a different. Uh, maybe I'm in a different echo chamber. Or I don't really remember. Yeah, you might be right. I don't, I don't remember it as a coup. I, I do remember it as a. Well, one thing I always equivocate coups with violence, but that doesn't have to be true because 
The, right. What happened in Ukraine back then was not carried out by armed uh, um, action, right? It was not, uh, um, to my memory anyway, uh, the military uh, taking over or anything like that. But you can have peaceful coups. Um, anyway, what followed was an election, and by all standards of observers and, and international uh, uh yeah, observers, it was a fair election. Matter of fact, I always thought Zelensky was elected on a platform of this sort of uh, populism making fun of politicians and sick and tired of um, politicians with experience because he was a comedian. He does have a law right. degree. Uh, so I actually, when he was elected, I thought, ah, not great. I would have liked a someone more leaning left, you know, and, and he I thought he was not. Of course, I'm, I'm not Ukrainian, and I wasn't that deep into it, to be honest. But I'm pretty sure he was elected as a sort of, eh, we're, we're annoyed with politics kind of uh, platform. Kind of a Trumpy thing. Anyway, he's become so much more. So I'm very impressed with him. Um, it's funny when we can be impressed with people for just being human because we lack so well, much he's become, in the world. he's become a celebrity, and he's got his stands, you know, which normally I object to, but in this case... In this case, I think it's different because that's yeah. that's probably what saved his life. Because when somebody yeah. is as loved as he is right now all over the world, Putin can't kill yeah. him. And so where I'm standing from, and I'm wrong about everything, but my prediction is I think Putin can't win this because Zelensky is too fucking popular. He can't kill him. He can't. He and it, I don't know. He can't but kill him. Imagine why can't he kill him? Because everybody will. Because because his own people will 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 evict him for that because he's mm. too popular all over the world. Even the, And I think the people in Russia will turn on him for that. I really do think so. Not yeah. to mention the rest of yeah. the world, certainly. China, certainly, which is big. You know, mm -hmm. will everybody, you know, definitely every other country in the world except maybe, uh, what's that one that sounds like a whale, Beluga, Belarus? They'll, <laughs> Belarus, yeah. They'll stick with yeah. him, you know, maybe a couple others. But yeah. everybody else, they'll just be like, boo, it's like killing, I was telling somebody else the other day, it'd be like killing... Our national treasure, Dolly Parton. You just, you just can't. <laughs> so I think I in that know. way, in that way, like we're then, in, how can Putin take over Ukraine if he can't kill Zelensky? And then my my spouse, my wife said, I never know which how I'm going to gender this person, but uh, mm. said, oh well, but Did he could just put him in jail, which is true. Yes, that's true. Yes. So that's yeah. So who yeah. knows? I don't fucking know. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and look, I mean, uh, it's not a good comparison, but Navalny, former mayor of Moscow, um, not a super progressive person, but he's an enemy of, of Putin and a critic. Um, we've seen him poisoned and we know it yeah. was Russia and nothing happens. Right. But um, it's true that in Russia, there's a ah, decent amount of people that I think believe Navalny is corrupt in some other way. Mm -hmm. So they're just like, well, he's not the real alternative to Putin. I, that's, I remember friends saying that because um, I want to like Navalny. I don't I, I'm well, amazed I mean, at how badly but you're intrigued. in Russia. It's like Lula da Silva versus Bolsonaro. Lula's corrupt, of course, but he's nowhere but near like Bolsonaro. You know, no, you, you just have, when you're and he'll probably corrupt, win the next election, by the way. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. Lula's back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but going back to, uh, what, what, you know, can Russia win? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, can't kill him. That's, that's, I think that's, well, I don't want to waste time trying to predict it. It doesn't matter, but that that's just mental masturbation. So far. I want to well, ask you about something else 
we're also related oh, okay. to this, which is the the this common technique. Because for me, again, this is all what's what's frustrating to me is propaganda, mainly because so many people I I just question their. It's not that I question their loyalties. I I, I just think I don't know if it's sense. Uh, I think that the way this the Russian propaganda works is so insidious. Because they make they they have it all. It's like the game of telephone. Like it ne- it doesn't come from Russia. It just comes from maybe it originates in Russia. But they're they're doing these elite. It's like a it's like a thought virus that they create, and it's so uh-huh, brilliant uh-huh. how they do it. And I don't even know if it's intentional. But it's like they create a thought. The thought sounds good. It gets repeated. Maybe from some trolls in a bot farm. Maybe from some RT correspondents. It sounds good. Then then yeah. and this is the key point. Then some in- sort of like critical thinking. Uh, Left-wing types like Aaron Mate, like Mataibi, like Katie, like uh, Glenn, Glenn Greenwald will use the same talking points, coincidentally have it well-backed up. They, they are com- completely disenchanted with the Democrats. They, they can't stand with the Republicans, and they are, you know, they repeat this, the talking points. And they, they back it up, but they back it up with really good reporting and, and fact. I was just looking at uh, Aaron Mate's reporting on Syria and the... Um, the chemical weapons stuff and he's you know mm-hmm. disputes the report that said it was that it was a chemical attack and that's all and i'm looking at that and it's like it's it's very intellectually founded but then when he gets if you really watch him there's some strange inconsistencies like with aaron monte i was watching him the other day they do this monday morning <laughs> thing on useful idiots because again he's he replaced uh, tell you before yeah, a while uh, Matt, and, yeah. yeah and so he was so they play the clips from like meet the press and all that crap and they make fun of him which is fine so when um, at first um, t- uh, Monte says uh, how he was wrong about uh, he said it was wrong of Putin to invade Ukraine Putin just snapped. It was wrong. It made no strategic sense, right? That's what that's what Aaron Monte said. But then later, when they were playing a clip of Chuck Todd saying something like that that um, Putin is trying to get the old Soviet Union back and or start mm. World War Three, Mate started laughing because look, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> With nothing else except that it's just patently ridiculous on its surface. Now, when you just said Putin snapped. And then less than five minutes later, you're going to say that it's ridiculous to think he would try and start World War III or get the old union back when you just admitted he snapped. What kind of intellectual honesty is that? And then I feel like, well, I've lost somebody I follow. You know, I question his loyalties, to say the, to, to say the least. I'm not saying he's mm-hmm. a Russian person. I think, in, ironically, he may be a useful idiot. You know what I mean? Like, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. And so much of their 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 punditry is just pure sarcasm, and that alarms me. Yes. Because these are journalists, right? And I get sarcasm when it's coming from Colbert. I get it when it's coming from anybody, but not when it comes from journalists. And this is like, is, and this is what Glenn Greenwald and the Taibbi and and Katie and they all use sarcasm as almost their primary tool of journalism. Hey, do you, do you think that it's a side effect of hearing so much from them like nowadays we hear from journalists via their podcast whereas yeah. previously we would have just read the article yes, that comes I out do. every absolutely days. absolutely because we know too much about our journalists <laughs> yeah and i hate to do this because i always was complaining like recently of how um 
you know, it's so much of these left wing podcasts are just bitching about other journalists and stuff, but I don't mm-hmm. consider myself, nobody's ever heard of me anyway. You know, mm. Lady Bunny was posting something on Facebook a few weeks ago. She said, there are only two people I know of that predicted Trump would win. Michael Moore and a little known podcaster named Madge Weinstein. Right. <laughs> so I'm the little known How was podcaster. the response? <laughs> no, none. Nobody fucking even. You know, none. none. Nobody liked. Nobody gives a shit about Smiley me. face. I'm just perm. I'm perma canceled, you know perma cancel but oh and the last thing that i wanted uh, along with the propaganda as i got terribly sidetracked is the the whataboutisms because they're they're it's a cliche it's a zeitgeist word and it's so overused but it's very it's happening a lot now like even lady bunny who i was just talking about she just posted something on facebook and it's a picture of it's a it's a cartoon of uncle sam saying you know protect ukraine against russia right and then behind Mm -hmm. the uncle sam drawing is a bunch of skulls under a blanket and the skulls are labeled somalia libya afghanistan iraq you know and like the thing is like okay but for me i'm an american person i don't know who these people are talking to when they say this this messaging is so common the what about is a messaging like yeah but who are you america to say this I'm an American citizen and I'm against all that other shit. I have not been inconsistent. I was against even the Afghanistan war. I was against the, uh, the, the Iraq war. I knew it was bullshit. And which is partially why I was against, I didn't believe this uh, invasion would happen. But, you know, I, I'm clearly against, I'm, I'm in favor of uh, Palestine being recognized. And, mm-hmm. and I just, so it's like, who are you talking to? So, the American government is a hypocrite, but that stuff is in the past, but we have an issue that's happening today we can address. And who sure. are you? You know what I mean? Like, I just don't know what to do with those annoying arguments. Do you? I Yeah. Well, I don't engage in them, but I uh-huh. do. Look, uh, I have people in my life who are either Palestinian or married to Palestinians. Yeah. And I know more so than in my house, because maybe because I'm so buried in my own stuff, um, they keep up with what's happening in Palestine or what's happening to Palestinians, which unfortunately is a long litany of yeah. of bad things. Um, in times like this, uh, and I say times like this because there have been other disasters, sorry, there have been other conflicts, because I also consider this a human disaster, um, where they will remind us, by the way, while you're worried about, you know, fill in the blank, Palestinians have been living like this for years. And right. so they're do- those people in my life are doing that now. I have Syrian friends in the U.S. now um, who have made their way there uh, over the course of years and in Germany as well. And they're interesting because they're not necessarily being as extreme, but they're saying, you know, we, we dealt with a lot of this stuff and the world didn't really come to our aid. Um, right. And so, you know, the, yeah. And, and one of the, I forget what news site, Red Fish or Red Fish, yeah. and they just did a diagram of all the bombings uh, done by governments in the last 24 hours or 48 hours. And you have Saudi Arabia and Yemen and uh, somewhere in Somalia, I think the U.S. carried something out. I don't know. So um, um, you can always do this. This is the kind of world we yeah. live in. It doesn't have to even be conflict. It could be uh, related to climate change, uh, the amount of pollution we're producing, uh, you know, for every solar panel you install, the amount of oil being just spilled somewhere. And, and in this case, for every moment that you say this war is wrong, the amount of wars that we haven't spoke up lately against mm-hmm. or stopped. 
It's true. It's the hypocrisy of humans. Some people say it's the problem with the so-called West. I get really tired of this label because isn't the Ukraine in the West? Isn't Russia? I always think like if NATO expanded to Ukraine, why couldn't a few years later, I mean, many years, why couldn't Russia be part of NATO? Wouldn't that be weird? Well, originally that was what, you know, that was proposition to Putin was even suggested. Yeah, I would consider joining NATO when they asked him. I mean, and, and, and that's, and so point, that's a whole nother whataboutism is the fact that we created Putin. We rose it. We gave him his position. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, Yeltsin also yeah, <laughs> enabled right. this a little bit. But but uh, I only bring that up because sometimes I think, what are we talking about? The West, like the, the Russia could be the West. Russia is colonialist as much as the U.S. is colonialist. Mm-hmm. Um, both countries kind of suck at, well, definitely Russia is horrible at acknowledging their role in colonialism in the in modern times. I mean, mm-hmm. what, two months ago, they they sent troops into Kazakhstan, which is not Russia, to quell the population that was rising up against a corrupt president. Um, yeah. You know, this is what they do. I mean, they're running colonies, uh, I guess, effectively for their goals anyway. The U.S. runs colonies in a different way, using money and, and whatever, uh, sometimes guns. Um, so uh, never mind. That's a tangent about uh, the West. Um, I, I, I know what you're talking about with p- people who need to, um, while you're trying to raise awareness or, or just yeah. understand what is going on, they go, why don't you care about this other conflict that also is affecting humans? And, and I, my answer to them, well, first of all, I don't <laughs> talk to them. Right. Um, I have no answer. I, I'm, I'm currently looking at this. I'm currently... Uh, look, it's it's in my media as well. It, it's heavy on my mind. Maybe I know people. Maybe I'm on the continent. Whatever it is, this is what's currently on my plate. Thanks for the reminder that our world, even in terms of what gets media attention, is unjust. Although you, Madge, and myself have been talking about that for more than 20 years. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you, you stop talking about it and you focus on what's in front of you or what catch, catches see, your yeah. attention. And see, that's the thing. Like I get it. I get it, but it's just the time. My issue with it is that that is a talking point from Russian propaganda. So it must be counterproductive. In other words, as valid as that argument is, the timing of it and the fact that it's currently used by Russian propaganda as a way to really make them win that war, make them occupy it. It's a winnings by repeating that. The fact that Russia is doing it means that they think by by spreading that messaging, it's going to allow them to occupy Ukraine, which we don't want. That's my problem with it. You know what I mean? It's not that it isn't yeah. valid. It's just that it's a it, it is in the eyes of Russia, a valid propaganda tool. And I don't want that to happen because I don't want Russia to win in this. Yeah. I mean, I don't yeah, know how to make it any simpler than that. Maybe I yeah. just need to say that, but I just get exhausted, you know, with this shit. Yeah. Oh, and, and, and look, I wish I wish we were able to acknowledge on social media above all mm-hmm. uh, with even the smallest of things and now with the largest of things being war that we are. Is it hypocrites where we're look, humans are we do things that cancel out another thing. You know, we do one good thing. We do one bad thing. That's yeah. I would argue that is what it is to be human. Mm-hmm. Um, I just rewatched The Good Place. I don't, I don't know uh, uh, if you ever got into I, it, but, it started, you know, one of their sort of annoying questions but but decent questions is mm. how come how can you be good in a world where you know you think you're buying organic but 
turns out it says organic, but it's the wrong organic label. And like, it was heavy handed, but it was a way of saying, we live in such a complex right. world that it's hard to do right. Um, yeah. We've made it yeah. extremely hard to do right. And so the question then is what, do you do nothing? Do you consider it all shit? Or do you choose to focus on something? And maybe maybe you can add more as you go. Right. Um, well, yeah, Deborah no was making a simple as Deborah Wilkerson was uh, uh, making a similar point to that because I was complaining in a private group. I was like saying, you know, the the UN Security Council voted on the um, voted against <laughs> they the, Russia vetoed sanctioning themselves yeah. or criticizing themselves. Yeah. Duh, of course. Yeah. And I yeah. said, well, of course the union that security council's bullshit because the biggest aggressors are all you know permanent members in it. <laughs> she, yes. I, she said well just cancel everything then let's not do anything you know <laughs> which is a valid point yeah. it made me realize yeah, yeah you're right point. because you can't just cancel everything you can't just not try because this shit's hypocritical and nothing's perfect because we are human yeah. after all and we, we suck and we all die at the end yeah. and the universe is inherently horrible <laughs> and it's suffering I, is at the core of existence, which you've just dis, 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 explained earlier. Yeah. Uh, I, I had a gut reaction to that UN Security Council predictable uh, action. Yeah. At first I was like, fucking Security Council, you know, it needs to stop. Like the General Assembly can stay, yeah. but the Security Council is bullshit. Russia, China, they hold it hostage. Yeah. And then I kind of remembered, I don't even have to look it up. Um, 2003, last time, by the way, that we filled the streets over here in, in Amsterdam. We did it again this weekend, though not as big as the Iraq mm. invasion, but we got close yeah. uh, this weekend. Um, and, you know, if you look back, I'm sure someone was trying to condemn the invasion of Iraq by the United States and its allies. And the United States is on the Security Council, so they vetoed right. it. Russia is not that far off right. these Absolutely. days. Absolutely. From what the U.S. does, Absolutely. it's just that it's well, I can't it's in think front of, of us. It's blatant. <laughs> I don't know that I can honestly say that what Russia is doing is worse than what we did in Iraq. Can you? I'm thinking about that. No, I mean, I just feel like I'm looking at two different flavors of terrible. Um, yeah. I, oddly enough, the 2003 was somehow more palatable for the world. Yeah. And and I appreciate, you know, the occasional post or, or commentary out there about how racist we are, the way we judge what's mm. a worthy rebel or, you know, granted, totally granted. Um, you know, the color of skin somehow is what, you know, white people cheer for, the white people who are struggling yeah. and the other ones they forget or that's, it's all, I think it's all valid. Mm. Um yeah. Well, I gotta go. I gotta uh, in yeah, ten minutes. Work. I gotta talk. Yeah, yeah. gotta. We can do it again. I gotta. Uh, yes, we didn't even get to talk about crypto. I know we had a lot to talk about in that, but um, I'm happy to. We'll we'll get there. I read a lot of the posts. I thought people were mean to you. I didn't like that. Um, well, just in my one, Twitter thread where I tried to give you credit. <laughs> just just one person was mean. True. I always yeah. call that people. It was yeah, just one person. Person. I don't care. At least somebody's. Yeah. I, I like that I you are interested in crypto. I prefer that. I prefer engagement to nothing, you know. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, I, All right. I'll let you go, um, and uh, we'll do this again. All right. Thanks so much. Good luck with your Thank new baby. Thank you. Thanks, All Auntie right. Madge. Mm -hmm. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Well, we have Mr. Hughes back on the phone, and he'd like to make some introductory remarks. Ladies and gentlemen of the press, before I talk, 
I'd like to say something. I would like to clear up some of the misconceptions about me and my way of life. This hullabaloo about my money. Why don't people leave me alone? Why is everybody writing a book about me? Hell, I'd like to write a book about myself. But all the good lies have been taken. Besides, why should I write a book when I can buy one for $6.95? McGraw-Hill, I understand, is having a big sale on them with empty pages. All right, so I wear sneakers to formal parties. I ask you, is that such a big deal? What would you wear with basic dungarees? <laughs> Look, I'm no different than any other human being. I'm just a plain average, ordinary American with two and a half billion dollars. I love my country, and when I say my country, I mean my country. No, I don't own this country. Holding a second mortgage does not mean you own a country. Now I give you my solemn promise, as an American and a Texan, I will never foreclose. Uh, Mr. Hughes, once and for all, will you clear up the details of your divorce? I'm glad you asked that, sir. Sir, I happen to be a woman. Can't you see this pink ribbon in my mustache? <laughs> Mr. Hughes, now about the divorce. No, thanks. I gave already. Oh, did I give. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. The 5th District Court of Las Vegas is now in session. Judge Kikorian presiding, and today's odds are 8 to 5. You're guilty. The first case on the docket is Hughes versus Hughes. Is the plaintiff ready? Yes, Your Honor. Wilson W. Brown. I'm the attorney for Mrs. Hughes here. And who are you, sir? Harry J. Grab. Are you the attorney for Mr. Hughes? No, I'm the attorney for Mr. Hughes' attorney. He doesn't show up either. Oh, yes. Well, do you have the check for the Division of Community Property? Ah, uh, yes, Your Honor. I have a check for $325,567,028. Mmm, $325,567,028. Uh-huh. Do you mind if I read it for a while? <laughs> Uh, the check seems to be damp. He cried a lot while he signed it. Well, everything seems to be in order. Before I turn over this $300 million check to Mrs. Hughes, is there any message from Mr. Hughes? Uh, yes, Your Honor. Would she mind holding the check till Tuesday? <laughs> I'm Daniel Simon, suicide editor of the Golden Gate Jump-Off. Uh, good morning, Mr. Simon. It's him. He, he spoke to me with his own voice and everything. Mr. Simon, we don't have much time. Get on with the question, please. He, he spoke to me. He actually spoke to me. Are you listening, world? He actually spoke to me. I'll never watch this here again. Please, Mr. Simon, your question. Oh, who cares what the question, you big yutz? He spoke to me, What's little me, yutz? a plain person. Oh, they'll never believe this in Sausalito. <laughs> A lot of people don't believe Sausalito. Did you hear that? He did it again. He spoke to me in words. His own words. Stop drooling into the phone, Mr. Simon. It's coming out of this end. You're more syllables from that same rich mouth. Mr. Simon, this is a toll call. You've only been allotted a certain amount of time. You're right. You're absolutely right. <clears throat> My job is to ask questions. Get a hold of yourself, Simon, for God's sake. <clears throat> Here it comes, Mr. Hughes. This is about your health. Now, what I want to know is... I... I can't! <laughs> Talking to Howard Hughes person, the person I'm just doing 
Blake. I'm sorry, Mr. Simon. Your time is up. <laughs> Thanks, Mr. Hughes, for being so darn, darn candid. <laughs> Anytime, Danny. Hey, fellas, guess who called me by my first name? I mean, my really own first name, Howard Hughes. <laughs> Silvano Catucci here, Mr. Hughes. Uh, yes, sir. My readers in Italy are interested in love. Can you tell us something about your romantic affairs? All right, but no names. I got enough lawsuits going now. My first love was a movie actress. Very beautiful, very blonde, and very famous. But frankly, she was also a nudge. <laughs> Okay, darling. I bought 12 dozen towels with HH on them, 600 pieces of silverware with HH, 400 crystal stemware with HH, 12 cigarette boxes with HH, silk lingerie with HH, and a dozen negligees with HH. I'm all prepared to be Mrs. HH. I never said anything about getting married. You have to marry me. Even I'm monogrammed HH. Would you like to meet Hubert Humphrey? Mr. Hughes, I hope you won't take offense at this question. No, ma'am, I never take offense. I sue a lot, but I never take offense. Is it true that you do not have many friends? Another lie. Why, just last week, they threw a testimonial dinner in Hollywood. And you appeared at the dinner? Yes, but not in person. I sent my chair. <laughs> they gave a dinner to an empty chair? Well, the movie business is in a lot of trouble, and how much can an empty chair eat? <laughs> if you were at the dinner in person, Mr. Hughes, how do you know what happened there? The fruit cup was bugged. <laughs> how do you bug a fruit cup? By asking stupid questions like you're asking me. <laughs> You should have seen the celebrities. First, there was Buddy Hackett. Oh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, honored members of the dais and distinguished empty chair. I heard Howard Hughes was on a diet, but looking at this empty chair, I think perchance he overdid it. But now I'd like to introduce another close friend of our empty chair. John Wayne, a very conservative fellow. He lives four blocks away, and it took him three hours to get here because he wouldn't make a left turn. <laughs> here he is, the July centerfold of the Daughters of the American Revolution. <laughs> Mr. John Wayne. Well, I want to say thanks a lot, little chubby Jewish guy. <laughs> I want to tell you the kind of dedicated Texan this Howard Hughes is. Right now, he's taking a memory course because last week, he forgot the Alamo. <laughs> now, while I mosey off, I'd like to introduce my hard-driving, hard-drinking buddy, Mr. Truman Capote. <laughs> Thank you, Duke. 
When you get through with all that height, could I have a couple of inches off the top? <laughs> they say so many terrible things about Howard Hughes. If they said those things about me, I would just haul off and faint. <laughs> they say he's aloof and ruthless and frigid. You know what I always say? Show me a man. That's what I always say. Show me a man. <laughs> How are you? How are you? How are you? And that's where I wish I was, in Hawaii, Hawaii, Hawaii. I'm sorry I couldn't bring my ukulele tonight. I sent it out to be spayed. <laughs> you know, I'm glad to be here tonight because Howard Hughes and I are pilots. We have a lot in common. When we fly, we both use the same air. <laughs> of course, he gets to use it first because it's his. <laughs> And now it would be my extreme pleasure to introduce a man who won an Oscar for Cat Baloo. And any man who can Baloo a cat is my kind of guy. <laughs> Mr. Lee Marvin. I'm very happy to be here at this dinner. My very good friend Howard, what the hell is his name? Hughes. <laughs> Hughes. Well, I like him because he isn't a drinking man, which leaves more for me. The liquor has never crossed his lips. I don't know how the hell he gets it down there, but I like to try. He's a winner with the women. Just the other day, I saw a 50-foot sign that said, Hughes Tool Works. Anybody who advertises like that must know what he's doing. <laughs> now, before I fall down, <laughs> under my own power, I'd like to introduce a president of the United States, a man who made poverty compulsory. <laughs> the advance man for David Fry. And here from one of his three White Houses, Richard M. Nixon. My fellow Americans, I want to make one thing perfectly clear. Make no mistake about this. I say it with utmost humility and sincerity, recalling that even in the past, what I may have said due to the situation and the circumstances that may have motivated an honest reappraisal, I say of Howard Robard Hughes, without rancor or bitterness, without warmth or guile, without ulterior intent, other than a constant quest for truth, that what I have said about this man will be etched forever in the annals of posterity. Make no mistake about that either. Thank you. That's a catchy tune. Every place I go, they're playing it. Is Mr. Hughes in? Sorry, Mr. Hughes isn't in. Okay. Just tell him Judge Crater called. <laughs> Telephone call for you, Mr. Hughes. 
Howie, I received a message to call you. Uh, yes, I know. Would you like a date tonight? Gee, would I? Wow, would I? Well, then follow these instructions. Leave your apartment, take the second elevator, go down to the eighth floor, change to the first elevator, go down to the mezzanine, and take the back exit. Walk down the outside iron steps, a 1968 Pontiac will be waiting for you. Get in, pull the shades. You will be taken to Burbank Airport. Get into the fourth floor to the left of the runway. You'll be flown to Topeka, Kansas. There you will take a bus, ride in the bus one and a half hours. Get off the bus in Ardmore, Oklahoma, walk around the corner, and there'll be a limousine waiting for you. Get in, and that's it. Oh, I feel marvelous. Where are we going? We, you're going out with a chauffeur, but don't worry, he's a good dancer. Herbie Rotten here. I'm the editor of an underground newspaper, The Daily Yich. I don't believe I'm familiar with The Daily Yich. Man, you can't miss us, sweetie. No news, but a lot of massage parlor ads. I don't believe we have anything in common, young man. Yeah, but oh man, we do. We're both dropouts. Only Howard Daddy, you know where it's at. Yeah, I know where it's at, except for $650,000 of it. You're gonna blow your cool unless you put it all together. You gotta get yourself a hobby like uh, arts and crafts, like uh, leather belts, beaded sandals, uh, incense, or can of painting. How about that? Painting, man, that could be your scene. Well, what would I paint? Well, you gotta paint your own thing. <laughs> Paint my own thing? What color? What oh, don't matter. <laughs> it don't matter, baby. Anything that makes you feel good. How about maroon? Right on. Well, what do I do with my own thing after I paint it? Well, you, you gotta display it. Where? On the sidewalk. <laughs> Why? Well, someone might want to buy it, or you can trade it, baby. For what? Organic food. You're into organic food, ain't you? Sort of. I eat prunes and get a lot of exercise. <laughs> well, well what, what kind of exercise? You eat enough prunes, you'll think of something. <laughs> what else do you eat? Well, alligator milk when I can get it. I have my own alligators, you know. Man, how do you milk an alligator? Low stool and heavy gloves. <laughs> Crazy, baby. That's crazy. Hey, listen, hey, Howard, Howard, listen, dig it. How's uh, how, how's the grass down there? Well, as I look out of the window, it's green. <laughs> it's moist, and there's acres and acres of it. Some of it's two feet high. Oh man, you're not in the Bahamas. You in heaven. <laughs> well, I'm trying to hang in here. Groovy, baby. I put on my new flea collar. Grab my roach holder and be there in 20 minutes or an hour if I fly by plane. Mr. Hughes, I have an emergency call from Switzerland. Don't tell me my chocolate factory melted. Mr. Hughes, you don't know me. My name is Helga and I'm here in the bank. Can you tell me... How do you make an H? <laughs> Mr. Hughes, to avoid being recognized, did you ever consider having your features altered? Well, I once had the shape of my nose changed. 
Plastic surgery? No, I talked back to Shirley MacLaine. <laughs> then uh, you don't believe in a face job. Oh, contraire. I went to a plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills. What does he specialize in? Overcharging. <laughs> I'll never forget that day in the office. Well, doctor, what do you think? We'll know right now. I'm about to take the bandages off your face. Thank goodness. I'm getting tired of eating through my ear. <laughs> I seem to have misplaced my scissors. What are we going to do, doctor? We've got a choice. I hold on to one end of the bandage and walk around you. Or two, you hold the other end of the bandage and you walk around me. <coughs> there you are. It's a miracle, sir. Your face is completely changed. I'll have to take your word for it. From inside, it looks the same. <laughs> You're a different man. That'll be $10,000. Good. Send the bill to Howard Hughes. But you're Howard Hughes. Not me. You just told me I was a different man. <laughs> Goodbye. Ah, uh, Mr. Hughes. We understand that one of the reasons for your marital problems was that you used to sleep three in a bed. That's right. Her, me, and the security guard. <laughs> well, well, how did you explain the presence of that strong security guard to your wife? That was easy. The hard part was explaining my wife to the security guard. <laughs> oh, my. You see, she'd sleep on one side, I'd sleep in the middle, and the guard would sleep on the other side. One time I woke up when I felt the guard crawling over me. Where are you going, I said. And he said, who's going? I'm coming back. <laughs> Brian Fisher, Foreign Affairs Editor of Popular Mechanics, Howard. Yes? Do you have a reputation for being a gambling man? Oh, I might sit in on a friendly game of poker every now and then. One time, I remember, I was dealing five-card stud with Aristotle Onassis, J. Paul Getty, H.L. Hunt, and Nelson Rockefeller. You're high, Rocky. You got a two showing. Well, what the heck? To make it interesting, I'll open the betting with $100,000. What about you, J. Paul? I think you're bluffing, so I'll see your bet and raise your Rolls-Royce or Renoir in the entire north slope of Alaska. H.L.? I'll see that bet and raise your Texas, Venezuela, and the little green Heinz pickle button I got at the 1939 World's Fair. Aristotle? I'll see you and raise you 235 super oil tankers, the whole Mediterranean, and a personal introduction to Jackie, if I ever get to meet her. <laughs> Howard, what about you? Well, if you guys insist on playing penny-ante poker, count me out. <laughs> we take you now to the deserted offices of a famous New York publishing company. Come in. Good morning, sir. You must be the managing editor of McGraw-Hill. What can I do for you, sir? I'm an attorney for Howard Hughes, and Mr. Hughes has just completed an authorized autobiography of Clifford Irving. Wait a minute. Hughes never met Clifford Irving. How can you write a book about someone you never met? 
it didn't stop Irving. Shut up,